time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. All right. You guys ready to get into it? We've been talking about crash. I loved what Garrett said when he came up. It's so, it's so interesting to me how much, how much influence DSM really has. And that's just a, uh, another sign. You know, uh, DSM really influenced me in my youth ministry when I was in Detroit. It influenced Garrett when he was in Texas, right? I mean, you guys have influence you don't know about. We talked about that the first week of the series. You have influence you don't know about. You are leading a nation. You are leading a generation, and that influence, if we do the right things, is only going to grow. All right? So that's what Crash is all about. And week one, we talked about Crash. We talked about the rhinos, didn't we? We, we actually defined the rhinos, and we defined the group of rhinos, and a group of rhinos is called a Crash because they can only see 30 feet in front of them, and they can run 30 miles an hour. So if you're standing in front of one, you're just going to get ran over because they're not going to see you in time to move. And we're not a prickle. We're not a group of porcupines. We're not a pod. We're not a group of whales. We're not a pride, even though I kind of like that analogy, a pride of lions, you know, whatever. Okay, we are a crash. We are a group of rhinos crashing. We can't see all that God's got planned, all that God's got in store, but we can see the next step because we're listening, we're praying, we're, we're hearing God's voice, and we're taking off and we're charging. That's what it's about. That's what crashing is about. And we are a generation, and this is a youth ministry that has to begin to crash into culture and change culture. Culture does not define us. We define the culture. That's what it's about. So we talked about the rhino. Week two, we talked about risk. We talked about Jonathan. Man, how he, how he charged the Philistine outpost. And he, he, in Scripture, he just says, perhaps God will work on our behalf. I mean, he didn't know. He didn't know if God was going to show up. But he went out because he knew the promises of God, and he, and he charged up to that Philistine outpost, and God delivered it into his hands. The third, last week, we talked about obedience, what it means to be obedient. We talked about Joab and how David said, anyone who leads the charge, whoever leads the charge will become commander-in-chief of my armies. And Joab said, hey, I'll do it. And he didn't die, so he became commander-in-chief of, of David's armies. All right, and he charged, and he led the charge. So tonight I want to talk to you, I, I basically entitled this message, Hear It, Speak It, Do It. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So really, is this is centered around a little word that we call faith. Everybody say faith. faith. I'm not talking about faith. Where did faith go? Faith. I'm not talking about that faith. I'm talking about the faith that we have, that God has given us inside of us, belief in what God wants to do. So we're going to be talking about faith tonight. We're going back to the fundamental basic of Christianity. And whenever someone tries to convince people to do something difficult, when we're trying to convince them, the usual process is that we try to, we try to build them up, we try to remind them how capable they are, we constantly reassure them that they have what it takes and that we believe in them. But this crazy radical faith that we've been talking about, when we've been talking about just going after it and charging and becoming a crash... When, this crazy radical faith, it doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. The faith we have been discussing isn't based on who you are or what you can do. It's based on who God is, what he's already done, and what he is going to faithfully continue to do. 
So when the Lord was, was handing the power of leadership over from Moses, as Moses delivered uh, Israel, they were in the wilderness, and Moses is about to die, and Joshua has stepped up, and God is, is handing the power of leadership over from Moses to Joshua. He, he reaffirms himself to Joshua. He doesn't reaffirm Joshua. He doesn't say, oh, Joshua, you're so awesome, you're so brave, you're so courageous, man, you're going to do awesome stuff. He doesn't do that. He reaffirms himself. This is interesting. Listen to this. It says, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Why? God goes on to say, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's why. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's why no one's going to stand up against you. That's why nothing in your way is going to stop you. That's why you're going to run over everything that tries to challenge you, that is sinful and evil. Because God is with you. That's a promise. Solidify it in your heart. God is with you. So in other words, God wasn't reaffirming Joshua's abilities. He, wasn't reaffir- he was reaffirming his own ability. He was affirming it to Joshua. Joshua, it's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's about me. It's always been about God. It's always about him. He says, I am with you. I won't leave you because of me. No one will be able to stand against you. This interaction between God and Joshua is repeated throughout God's word. In fact, when you look at Scripture in its entirety, you'll find that it's a story of, faith, uh, of a faithless world being rescued and redeemed by a faithful God. Every story you read, it seems like that is taking place. I mean, in Genesis, it was the faithful God who didn't give up on Adam and Eve after they had deliberately and blatantly disobeyed him and rebelled against his commands. He didn't give up on them. A little later in history, it was a faithful God who found a righteous man named Noah. After the entire human race had turned away in faith, uh, faithlessness, and through that faith of that one man, he found Noah. Through his, the faith of that one man, humanity was saved. Then God found Abraham. And he called him out to move to a new place. And he used Abraham to create a nation whose people were destined to be more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the grains of the sand on the seashore. And even when Abraham wavered in his faith, God never wavered in his faithfulness. Then a faithful God recruited a man named Moses, a murderer and a runner. I call him the runner. He ran from his problems. A murderer and a runner... And he recruited Moses to deliver his people from Egyptian bondage. It was then a faithful God who raised up a new leader by the name of Joshua after a faithless generation refused to trust him to enter the promised land. And under Joshua's leadership, the people took the territory and defeated all the enemies because God was fighting for them. He was faithful. It was a faithful God who raised up judges to deliver the people of Israel as they continued to sin against him and do their own thing. But when the people got themselves into those sticky situations that they couldn't seem to get out of, it was a faithful God who restored them and redeemed them. He heard their cries. He delivered them. It was a faithful God who selected an unlikely shepherd boy who was off uh, everyone else's radar for king. I mean, he was the most unlikely. No one even looked at, no one even thought about David as being king of Israel. But God found David. And God raised him up and he led a nation of Israel 
to unprecedented favor and unprecedented blessing. It was out of King David's lineage that the faithful and Jesus Christ appeared on the scene. He led the perfect life that we were incapable of living. Faithfully, he went to the cross and he died the death that we all deserve to die. And faithfully, God raised his son from the dead, defeated sin on our behalf, and opened the door to real life and freedom for all who would believe. We are talking about a faithful God. And I could go on for hours just telling you stories of God's faithfulness, not just in my life, just not in in people in the past 100, 200, 300 years, not just people all throughout Scripture. I mean, everywhere, God has been faithful throughout time. The same faithfulness that God has had with so many is the same faithfulness he will have with you. He is faithful to you. Even in times when we're faithless, even in times when we're unfaithful, God will be faithful to you. It's the same God with the same purpose, with the same heart, with the same love of his life, and that's you. He loves you, and he will be faithful. He cannot go against who he is. He is a faithful God. So I want to declare together tonight, it should be on the screens. I hope you can see the screens. Can, is it up there? Will it be up there? Maybe not. Maybe I'll declare it for you. Yeah, this is it. Let's just kind of say this together. Can you guys see that? All right, just make it up. Let's declare it together. My faith is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. My faith isn't even in my ability to believe because sometimes I won't be able to perceive him. Sometimes I won't be able to feel him. Sometimes I will have doubts, but my faith isn't in any of that. (laughs) That's awesome. Just listen to me. My faith is in his faithfulness. You can always have faith in that. Our faith may fail or waver at times, but God's faithfulness never will. I want to talk to you just a little bit more. I want to talk to you about how we gain this type of faith. I mean, how can we position ourselves so that our faith, the faith that we've already been gifted with, the faith that we have can naturally grow? And the Bible is called the living word because God spoke it and still speaks to us today, right? It is truly a document alive with the breath of God. It is alive, it is breathing, it is speaking to us. The Bible describes the growth process of faith in our lives this way. It describes it in hearing the word, speaking the word, and then doing the word. Hear the word, speak the word, do the word. Hearing the word initiates faith. Speaking the word activates faith. And doing the word demonstrates faith. That's what we all have to do. This is a process that we will all go through. So let's talk about hearing the word and how it initiates faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now there's only one way to acquire faith. One way. It's found in knowing the promises of God in his word. You must know the promises of God. And as you recognize, as you read and recognize the promises of God in scripture, your faith muscle is being ignited. It's being used. It's being exercised. You know, just like in lifting weights. David had a great weightlifting story at staff meeting today. I won't tell you. You can ask him about it. It's just like lifting weights. When you start lifting weights, man, you get sore. I mean, those next, how many of you have been there? 
Man, you start working out, you start, start lifting, man, you just get sore. I mean, everything hurts for a couple days. That's because you haven't been exercising those muscles. And those muscles are breaking down and they're building back up to be stronger, to be tighter. All right? They're, they're growing. There's more cells. There's more blood flowing to them. That's what happens when you start lifting weights. So in order to continually exercise and build your faith muscle, you have to become familiar with the Word of God. This means you have to saturate yourself with the Word of God. You have to be hungry for it. You have to desire it. I love that word saturate. Man, when, you, when a sponge gets put in the water and it's saturated with water and you pull it out, what's coming off the sponge? I mean, water's just dripping and pouring and spilling out of that sponge because it's saturated with water. Don't you want that to be God in your life? Don't you want that to be the promises of God? When you open your mouth, don't you want the, the words that come out to be just the overflow of that saturation of God's word? When that happens, that's power to change lives. That's the words that are going to cut through everything in someone's life, and it's going to penetrate to their hearts, and you're going to see miracles take place. When you are speaking and living and acting out of the saturation of God's word. If your faith isn't rooted in the promises of God, it's just wishful thinking. I mean, you can't claim the promises of God when when doubt strikes if you don't know the promises of God. When God handed the reins of leadership over to Joshua after Moses died, he said this to Joshua. He said, be strong and very courageous and be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right that you may be successful wherever you go. I love that. Joshua, you will be successful wherever you go, whatever you do, because Joshua, I'm a faithful God, and I'm promising you that I'm going to be with you. All you have to do is be obedient. All you have to do is hear my voice and listen and obey what I've, I've asked you to do. And I'm not just giving you laws, and I'm not just giving you rules. I'm giving these things to you so that you can prosper, so that you can be protected, so that you can be safe. That's what God does today. To really pray with power and to radically trust Jesus, you need to consume as much of God's word as possible. And as you increase your exposure to the teaching and preaching of Jesus and prioritize the presence of God in your daily life, the power of faith will take root in you and it will begin to burn within you. So if, so, uh, let's talk about just consuming for a minute. Consumption. Consumption of God's word. If we're going to really pray with power and we're really going to do the things that we see in Scripture and things that we don't see in Scripture that God's calling us to today, then we've really got to consume God's Word. One of the things I love to consume is chocolate chip cookie dough. I love chocolate chip cookie dough. I make cookies because I love chocolate chip cookie dough so much. I probably make cookies once or twice a week. And I love it because my boys just sit on the counter and we just eat spoonfuls of cookie dough. They love it too. It's great. I don't care about raw eggs. I've built up a tolerance. Doesn't bother me. All right, so consuming, consuming that chocolate chip cookie dough or, or ice cream. I love consuming ice cream. I just love consuming that stuff. But you see, some of the things that we love to consume, we have to put the same heart and the same work and the same effort and set that time aside so that we can consume God's word until it hurts. Until it hurts. I've eaten so much cookie dough that it's hurt. It's hurt more than one place. I consumed a lot of cookie dough. 
Or brownie batter. How many of you like brownie batter? Oh, man. I'm a sucker for brownie batter. Okay, so I'm thinking about food right now. All right, so we consume all this stuff. So think about this. If you're watching a movie 20 hours a week, you're consuming you know, that media, 20 hours a week. Maybe you're playing Xbox and you're consuming Xbox for, for an, an online play and whatever else for 20 video games for 20 hours a week. Think how much further ahead. Think how much, how much more saturated you would be if you set aside and committed to saturating yourself in 20 hours of God. I guarantee you, if you sat down and really mapped your week out, I guarantee there's many of you in here who watch 20 hours of TV. Or play 20 hours of video games. We're missing it. We need to saturate ourselves with God's word. We will be a different people. We will have different priorities. When Moses led the people to the promised land, they wouldn't go in. They were dumb. They couldn't even cross the sea to go over and take the land because they were scared and they didn't trust God. But by the time they all died and Joshua was risen up as a leader, the next generation, they trusted God. They were saturated with the promises of God. I bet you for 40 years, Joshua every day told the stories of God just to saturate them with God so that when the time was right, these people would move with great authority and great power under the power of God. All right? So, so if hearing the word initiates faith, if we're saturating ourselves with God, hearing the word, reading the word initiates faith, then speaking the word, actually speaking it, activates the faith. Hearing it initiates it, speaking it activates it. It's like, you ever catch bugs when you're a little kid? Put them in a jar? All right, so if we're hearing God's word, if we're saturating ourselves with God's word, and we put all those promises, and we put everything in a jar, like we would catch bugs and put them in a jar, and we just set them up on the counter, what are those bugs going to be doing the next day? They're going to be laying on the back with their legs and their arms up in the air, not moving. That's what will happen to your faith if you don't speak it. You must hear it. And then you must speak it. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. I think when people read this, including myself, we subconsciously kind of translate this command to me. Don't let the book of the law depart from your heart. Don't let it depart from your mind. But that's not what scripture said. God specifically told Joshua, don't allow the book of the law to depart from your mouth. That means have the promises of God on your lips. Be speaking them. Be speaking God's word. Before we can live out lives of radical faith before the Lord, the words of God must become a part of our everyday speech, our everyday vocabulary. The word of God should be a part of our everyday language. You know, I love reading God's word because you know what? When I read God's word, I'm learning God's language, I'm learning how He speaks. I'm learning how he teaches, which initiates in me, I I begin to hear what he's saying. When God speaks to me, I begin, and he impresses my heart with things, I begin to recognize that it's God's voice immediately. Why? Because I've been in the word. I know his language. I know how he speaks. 
So don't allow this book of the law to depart from our mouths. The majority of the time when I preach, you think I'm probably preaching to you, and I'm probably preaching for just your benefit. But I want to tell you something. 99.9% of the time, I'm preaching for my own benefit. I'm preaching so that I hear the truth, so that I hear the word of God. Guys, I'm learning with you. You will never arrive in this life. We have got to be learning, uh, lear- learning. We've got to be uh, learners. We've got to be teachable. We've got to continually allow God to raise us up, to speak to us. We've got to become uh, 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 closer to him. We've got to become more intimate. So I'm learning with you. I'm solidifying God's truth uh, in your hearts as I speak, but I'm also solidifying it in my heart as I speak. And some of the best sermons I've preached, I've preached to myself. Some of the best ones have been for me. I've been so convicted and so just, it's been such on my heart that I'll just preach it to a congregation, to a church, and they will receive, but man, the, the reception was, was really received by, by me. I was receiving what I was speaking. I need to be reminded, just like you, the truths that I believe and according to God's word. So I've preached sermons to myself that were so good, I needed to come forward for my own altar call. I mean, it's true. I've, I've preached that. I've preached sermons that were, that were so good that, man, I was about to give myself some money. I was about to take up an offering for myself. I mean, it's just when we speak it, it solidifies something in our hearts. I mean, when, when I'm speaking it, when I'm speaking God's word, I mean, it brings me to a point where I just say, man, God, here's my life, here's my money. In fact, here's the shirt off my back. God, I just want to offer you everything. I want to lay my life on the line for you. Everything I have, God, is yours. I want to be faithful to you. When you start speaking it, something about speaking God's word solidifies it in your heart. It's not just listening to it. It's not just memorizing. It's not just something you're reading about. It's becoming a belief system. It's becoming something you treasure, something that you would die for. So here are, uh, on, your, on your seats, there's a sheet of paper, just a little sheet of paper. There, it's 12 radical faith confessions. Just to get us started, learning the promises of God. Now, as you speak these confessions to yourself and remind yourself of how faithful God is, it's creating that faith push in you. It's creating movement in your spiritual life. And your faith is not just being initiated, your faith is being activated. So look at those for a minute. You don't have to read them out loud. I'm going to read them to you real quick. But this is something, this is what I want you to do. For the next week, every day, I want you to slip these in your Bible, slip them in your wallet, slip them in your purse, slip them in your back pocket, don't let it go through the washer. I want you to read these every day out loud to yourself. If you want to look up some of the scriptures, you can. But I want you to solidify the promises of God in your heart. Listen to these. Number one, I am fully forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. That's a good one to believe. Number two, I act in bold faith to change the world in my generation. Number three, I have no fear or anxiety. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. Number four, I am able to fulfill the calling God has placed on my life. I am able to fulfill it. Number five, I am fully resourced to do everything God has called me to do. He will provide everything I need. I have no insecurity because I see myself the way God sees me. That's a promise we need to repeat to ourselves. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Number seven, 
I am a faithful future spouse and godly parent who will lead my future family faithfully. I am completely whole, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I am increasing in influence and favor for the kingdom of God. I am enabled to walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. I have the wisdom of the Lord concerning every decision I make. I am protected from all harm and evil in Jesus' name. These are 12 simple faith confessions that you need to know and believe with all your heart. This is the word of God. This is the, these are the promises of God that he is making to you. And we know the promises of God. There's a faith that begins to grow inside of us. Know the promises of God. How many of you will commit to do this? How many of you will commit to read this every day for the next week? And if you want to read it longer, go ahead. Read it every day for the next week. Let it sink in. Look up the scriptures. Do, do whatever in your devotional time. But man, read that out loud. Every day. All right. So you're going to experience some rich intimacy with the Father when you speak the word of God over your own life and when you begin to speak the word of God over your friend's life. All right? It should be the first expression of love to God in the morning and each night as you express your failures and your victories of that day. Man, God, this is who I am. I'm reminding myself, this is who I am. Now, it may feel weird at first to do this, to speak out loud. Maybe you're just in your room and you're speaking to yourself. Maybe you're looking in a mirror and you're looking at yourself while you're telling yourself and reminding yourselves of these promises and your mom or dad walks in and just looks in shock and amazement. I mean, I, it doesn't matter. Man, just say, Mom, I'm filling myself with the promises of God. Get out. No, don't yell at your parents. Don't yell at your parents. Be respectful. Say, Mom, I'm filling myself with the promises of God. Could you please leave me alone? Because this is a little weird right now. All right? Whatever you want to do. However you want to do it. All right? So don't, I mean, it might feel a little weird, but do it anyway. Just do it. All right, last one. Number three. Hear the word, speak the word, and doing the word demonstrates faith. Doing the word demonstrates faith. James chapter 2, verse 17, we said this the first week. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by what? Action is dead. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So here's the reality. It is possible for us, it is very possible for us to hear God's word, take notes, memorize scripture, and speak that word out loud until everyone around us thinks we've totally lost it. But yet never, never walk in radical faith. You must hear it, speak it. But you can't leave the last part out. You have to do it. One time Jesus told his disciples to get in a boat and to head out to their next stop while he stayed behind to get in some prayer time. He just, wanted to climb. he just wanted to go pray and spend some time with his father. He said, guys, go get in the boat. Head out to the Holy Spirit will direct you. Head out, get in that boat. Head across the sea. I'll catch up later. All right, what he failed to tell his disciples was that they were going to encounter a pretty big storm. They were going to encounter a storm so big that they could possibly die. Let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 29. It says this. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. 
And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, God, if, if, if Jesus, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. In this one story, Peter acts out all three steps, all three stages of faith development or faith formation that we've been talking about. It starts with Peter hearing the words of Jesus. And this is how his faith is initiated. It's, it's what separated Peter from being just another terrified disciple crouching in the bottom of the boat. It separated him from them and him to becoming a potential water walker. Did I say that right? Water walker. Say that fast, really, several times. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. All right, it's what separated him from walking on water and the fear that all the other disciples had just crouching in the bottom of the boat praying that they wouldn't die. All right, so he realized in this moment that this could be the one man that could save his life. And see, his faith is just starting to rise in this moment. His faith is just starting to be initialized in his heart. And as you read God's word and digest it, your level of belief is rising It's initiating and increasing the capacity for faith inside you as you digest it, as you read it. But this isn't the finish line. This is just the beginning because you're still in the boat. I mean, you've simply heard the word of God. But that doesn't make you walk on water. And the next step, Peter activates the faith that uh, that has been initiated. He does this when he shouts back to Jesus, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. (laughs) If it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come to you. As Peter speaks, he's vocalizing an expression of his faith. He's committing verbally. He's taking it public. I mean, he's, he's announcing it in front of all of the other disciples. Jesus, if it's you, if you are who you say you are, Jesus, tell me to come to you. Tell me to walk on the water towards you. He's putting his faith, he's putting his faith in motion. He's like drawing a line in the sand. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like a fool. I may sink or swim. I may drown. I don't know. But I'm ready to exercise this faith. This, the deal still isn't done, though, at this point. He's heard it. He's heard the voice of Jesus. He's spoken. He's spoken it. He's spoken the word of Jesus. Now, we didn't teach you this story in Sunday school because of the great conversation that Peter had with Jesus, did we? That's not really what the story's all about. The story was taught because of what happens next. After the faith has been initiated, after Peter has activated it, Peter gets out of the boat. He refuses to be bridled by the law of buoyancy. He's not worried about sinking. He gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. Peter's faith is demonstrated in the moment his feet touch the water. He risked failure. He risked embarrassment. He he really risked his life. But none of that could stop him. And none of that could stop the faith that was boiling up inside of Peter. That faith was just, it was about to pour out. I mean, he was saturated at that point. And sink or swim, he was getting out of that boat. In week one, we defined a crasher as this. One who charges out of their comfort zone, sometimes under hazardous conditions, 
in order to rescue another. If I could have DLA come up and remove this crash, the band could come up. One who charges out of their comfort zone, sometimes under hazardous conditions, in order to rescue another. You see, crashers initiate their faith because they hear the word of God. They activate their faith when they speak the word of God. And crashers demonstrate their faith because they actually take action and they do the word of God. Now, it's so fun. I can't remember if I told you this story, but my very first youth ministry, I sat down with one of our small group leaders. He was 16 or 17 at the time. His name was Adam Maynard. Cool guy, cool kid. And... Uh, he was running a small group. There were about 12 young people in his, in his small group. We sat down. I sat down with him and a co-leader one day, and we talked for about two and a half hours at his kitchen table, and we began to talk about vision. We began to talk about what God wanted to do. We began to talk about the promises of God and what he felt God wanted to do in his small group and in his school. And he began to lay out what he felt like God was saying. And would you know that this young man's small group could be one of your campus groups. This young man's small group grew from 12 people to 70 in two months. People were getting saved left and right. I mean, they would meet in his basement. I mean, it would be jam-packed teenagers in that basement like sardines. I mean, it was crazy. And the Holy Spirit would show up. And the Holy Spirit would move. All throughout Scripture, God has raised up people for such a time as they were finding themselves in their generation. I mean, God raised up Abraham. He raised up Moses to deliver Israel. He raised up Joshua to lead Israel. I mean, he, he raised up Esther to save the entire uh, uh, Israelite nation. I mean, if you guys have never read Esther, go read Esther. She risked her life, ran into the king's throne room which was automatic death if you were not summoned at the time. And in Esther, I mean, Nico said it before in the beginning of the service. In scripture it says you are raised up for such a time as this. In the days of Jesus, the disciples were raised up to lead his church, to build his church, to grow his church. I mean, they, they, were, they started Christianity they started the church and the church has flourished and the church has grown even under persecution. And I believe in your generation. God will raise up students from our midst. Students from DSM for such a time as this. And you will be part of the reason your generation gets redeemed. Your generation gets restored. I listened to young people last night. Student leaders begin to share the visions God had given them about revival starting, about a generation that needed revival, about the people they knew and, 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 and peers of theirs that needed Christ that they were going to go after and be intentional with. I need you to believe the promises of God tonight. That you will be raised up in this day and age for such a time as God has called you. As God has set you apart. 
He has set you apart for a purpose. He's created each and every one of you sitting in these chairs tonight for a reason and for a purpose. Let's not miss it. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you believe that what God says in his word is true? Do you believe that he will be with you? Even when he calls you to do, to go kill a giant, to go attack sex trafficking, to go after the orphan and the widow, to go after your high school, middle school campus. Do you believe, God, that he will be with you, that he is for you, that he is not against you, that there is no shame in you, that you will lead? with great uh, perseverance, that you will lead with great courage, that you will lead with great boldness, that you will be the crash. See, if you don't believe it, you're not saturated with the promises of God. And those things, you will miss the highlights of life. You will miss what God has prepared you for, what God has set you apart for, what God has raised you up for such a time as this, you will miss it if you don't have the promises of God that are driving you, that are driving you to be a pack of rhinos that are crashing. God is raising You have influence in a nation that you do not know. He's raising you up. The revival may start right here in this room. He's raising you up. The prayer that leaves this place hour after hour, day after day. What, you think God's ignoring that? No, he's hearing it. He's hearing the words of his He's hearing the words of this young generation and he's looking at you as a remnant that has been set apart from from the majority of your generation. 4% of your generation are Bible-believing, faith-loving, Jesus-following Christians. 4%. 33 million in this country, 4% love Jesus. You have been set apart. You are a remnant. could see God physically. And God came down and he stood by you. Why don't you guys stand up right now? Just stand up. If you could see God physically. And he came down and he stood right beside you. He said, my child, what do you want to do today? How do you want to advance my kingdom today? My child, whatever you say, whatever you dream up, however you want to advance today, it will be done. I will be with you. I will go before you. What do you want to do today? Because that's God. It's God. So what do you want to do? What do you do? What, what do you want to do with this youth ministry? 
You want to just go through the motions? You want to be satisfied with where we are right now? Or do you want to push? You want to crash? You want to go after it? And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.